Hello and welcome to a special bonus episode of Something to Do with Art with me, Robert Good. This episode marks 1,000 plays of the podcast, so a big thank you to everyone who has supported the project so far. In this episode, I meet up with artist William Furlong. Bill is the founder of Audio Arts, a seminal sound art magazine that began in 1972 and over the next three decades went on to become possibly the most comprehensive sound archive devoted to art and artists in the world, comprising contributions from over 900 artists, including Joseph Boyce, Tracy Emin and Andy Warhol. So I want to find out what Bill makes of his achievement and if he has any hints and tips for me as I start on my own podcast journey. This episode was recorded before lockdown, and I hope to follow it up with further investigations into the Audio Arts Archive as circumstances permit. Our conversation takes place at Bill's home in London, where he edited the original Audio Arts tapes. So join me for this edition of Something to Do with Art, and let's see where today's conversation might take us. Hello, and today I'm uh, in South London. I'm delighted to be with Bill Furlong, who is the founder of the Audio Arts Project, which was a seminal project that recorded conversations with literally hundreds of artists over four decades. So, uh, Bill, thank you so much for having me for this conversation. Um, Maybe to start with, could you just say a little bit for my listeners about what Audio Arts is or was, and Uh, some facts about what you achieved? Well, it's interesting. Um, One is always looking for visuals for anything like this. And um, I think the the visuals I would choose would be something like a couple of ears. Uh It's all about listening. So, yeah, Audio Arts was a listening project, really. Although we won't use that term because there's a BBC programme called that now. But it's about hearing people's speech and basing any kind of analysis on what they say. So um, that's, that gets us off, doesn't it? Starts us off. So it was founded in 1973? Yeah, you could say so, yeah. Uh, by yourself and yeah, and ran through until roughly 2000 and something? Oh, about four years ago. Right. Oh, I see. As, as recently as that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I went yeah. on with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, I mean, the, the, the list of artists that you've interviewed is, reads like a who's who of pretty well everyone in, in the art scene over the last four decades. Yeah, yeah. Um, Gilbert and George, Chapman Brothers, yeah. Damien Hurst, Sarah Lucas, Marina Abramovich. Yeah. It's such a fantastic achievement. What, what, what are your thoughts about looking back on that achievement? Well, I suppose it's one way of looking at it that you would see it slightly differently coming in from the outside, as it were. As far as I was concerned, it was just something I did during a period of time. And I had good connections in the art world because I was part of it. So it it didn't take a lot of persuasion to to get any of these interviews sorted. And I had a job at Wimbledon that allowed me to kind of travel a bit. 
So that helps. So I could go and do an interview at short notice or go abroad whenever I needed to. That's why I did the Venice Biennale a few times. And, you know, you build up a network of friends and acquaintances that all have a part to play. Yeah, absolutely. And, well, you you mentioned that you're also an artist in your own right. Can you say a little bit about what your art practice is and also how this project, the Audio Arts Project, what the relationship is that to to your other work? Well, I suppose the common denominator in all of this was sound and latterly of speech. So the most recent work was to do with speech and words. And before that, a fairly, not conventional, I don't like that word, but a, a kind of a system of thinking of information and projects and how to go about them. And it usually had an output of a recording and then um, it's what I did with a recording and how it was edited how it was installed in a gallery situation, if that's where it was to be. But I was never purist about this at all. You know, I kept fairly down to earth about it. It was just, as I say, it sounds a bit arrogant, but it's just what I did during a particular period. And I came well known for it, which is interesting to speculate on that. that there wasn't a, a kind of a, any parallel activity going on in London anyway to audio arts, although in other places like uh, Germany there, there was a bit where people worked through sound and when you went to a major exhibition in Berlin or wherever, you, you came across a lot of sound works, uh, whereas you didn't here in this country. So that drew me to Europe and um, to getting to know quite a few people there that were involved in this network, if I can call it that, of um, people who worked in sound. Mm. But, I mean, you, you, you kept it going for a long... And uh, you distributed them via the old uh, cassette tapes and uh, the, the insert sleeves that you, that you made for them. They're all beautifully done and, and, and really nicely put together. I mean, they are kind of works of art in their own right and to some extent, or, or in absolute terms. I don't know if, if one can, can uh, draw the line as to where art, art ends and other projects begin. Well, I suppose if you're, if you're an artist, it sounds a bit corny now to say this, but everything you do is a form of your art practice. And um, within the context of a regularly published magazine, this is what I did. And that's what, why I recorded so many people. And all the people I recorded were all, I was sympathetic to the way they work worked. And um, I got them to sit down and do a conversation like this or something else, um, but always with the common denominator of sound. And are you are you a collector in other ways? It, it, it seems to me as though you've created a. You obviously is an archive. It, it operates on lots of different levels, but one one way of thinking about it is is as a collection. It's almost like a collection of artists. Are you a collector? Would you say? Well, I suppose if in that context you would call me that, but it wasn't that as a reason for doing it. I have to point that out um, because although it's now acknowledged as a, a fairly important collection of artists' voices, it, it didn't start off in that way. It started off as a way of coming up with something that could be shared and could be reasonably called a magazine that came out regularly. And um, instead of being printed, it was the time when there was a lot of activity around sound and the spoken word. And um, 
the idea of the audio cassette was a brand new thing that was creeping in, the Philips cassette. So it all came together. And would you say, um, thinking about the overall collection, standing back, I'm interested in what, what makes artists tick and why they do what they do. Standing back and thinking of it as, as this whole, this, well, as a collection of, of, of objects, um, what, what sorts of themes or what sort of rhythms, what, sort of, what are the flavours that come out of it, would you say, um, about the artists that you, that you, you well, met? Well, yeah, I think you're kind of right to try and pin it down in that way. But um, I think that what it was always about was conversation rather than interviews. So I'd like to mm. get that straight. And the sort of conversation that you could join at any point and leave at any point, notwithstanding that a lot of them needed research beforehand. If I didn't know enough about the artist, I had to do a bit of research. But apart from that, I wanted it to sound a bit like a, the kind of conversation you would have with anyone. But um, I thought of it as a, an ongoing conversation, a conversation with an artist who one had just met or a person. And you were trying to find out about them and about their work and what they did, what their motivation was and anything else that cropped up. And what was their motivation, would you say? I mean, um, obviously that's going to vary, but uh, were there any commonalities? I know that's a bit where you're coming from, but I wasn't looking for commonalities. I was looking for particularities and I think you'd have to listen. If you listen to the tapes, you'll see hear what those are. Because one of the important things I should add at this point is that um, obviously each one is different, but um, I didn't go into any of them with, with any huge preconceived ideas apart from the, con- the, the research I did in the background. No, that, that's about it for that. Really. Mm, okay, no, that's fine. And And... Because it spanned, you know, from the 70s right through to pretty well the present day, did, did I mean, was there any change over the... I mean, obviously the art world has changed and so on. Has, did, did any of those kind of... Uh, the, the, the fact of the... Over that period of time, did the nature of the interviews change or was there any kind of uh, sense of a, a shift in any way that was picked up on the... Uh, through the project? I think you'd have to listen to them and decide yourself, uh, as indeed others will have to do. As far as I was concerned, I was just responding primarily to what the artists had to say. And that was about the work and about their reasons for doing it, their motivation and um, their influences. You know, it just depended on the person. Because of course, it all, the project also spanned the shift from analogue to digital, which is a fascinating, you know, this uh, a shift in its own right. Were you ever tempted to kind of move to CDs and, and catch the wave and continue... Uh, that or did you stay with with tapes well I ironically I ended up with CDs the very final issue is produced on CD but um, in a way it is a a history of audio arts is a history of the possibilities of of low budget recording and the beauty of the format of CD and um, digital is a a format that lends itself to a project like this and cost was always a consideration and um, it always had to be done cheaply and uh, I came across the formats I've used purely not accidentally because I was always advised and the first thing I was advised on was the master recording should always be good because you might want to transfer it and edit it and what have you and I, I stuck to that so it started off all the master tapes being recorded on a something called a UHER tape recorder and um 
then in order to do any editing, I'd transfer the what were seven inch reels to a ten inch reel where I did all the editing, the cutting and splicing. Whereas now I know with digital, it's all on a screen. But these are just technicalities. They're not that important. Although at the time, it, it gave one an opportunity to do what I wanted to do. And do you do you have a, a nostalgia for the for the old the analog approach, or or conversely? Uh, hankering for the digital or what's your thoughts about those two relative no I, I, I don't actually the thing is that it would be so easy to say well digital is so easy to use um, analog was a bit of a pain but now I used what was available and that's important to stress that it was availability of the technology which is one reason audio arts could come into being because the technology was there and I had to learn myself about how to use it and, and I did you know I mean that's the point editing on reel to reel requires a certain skill and certain procedure I had to learn how to do that and I always had cassettes made then of of the final edit and that's what was published you know all the audio arts materials was published on an audio cassette and the reason for that was that the audio cassette was the way of bringing it into the world it's a bit like um, doing something on an A4 sheet of paper and you publish it when it's been printed and the the analogue was a way of doing that and there's a relative scarcity I suppose about what you were doing because um, not so many people had either access to the to the equipment or or ways of disseminating it and so on. The, in the digital age, every, everybody's their own producer and their own That's right. creator, aren't they? That's right. Um, the thing is that it was a learning curve, and in some places, some occasions, quite a steep learning curve to work out how to do it all. But I learned it all as I went along, you know, and one or two people helped in that respect um, but there were no magic formulae attached and you can't read a book to tell you how to edit audio tape well you can but I didn't do it but it was done like that does that answer that? I think it probably does. And I was going to ask you, did you, I mean, this is just a, as, a, as an aside, really, did, I mean, whether there are any particular interviews that stood out in your mind or, or uh, episodes during the course of the, of the, uh, the project that, that, that really stayed with you for one reason or another? Well, all of them were like that in some ways because all of them were new for the first time kind of thing. And I had to um, help the artists too to do their bit and what they were saying had to be recorded in a particular way so I always had to have an eye on the recording process in order to get walk away with something that, that was usable because remember I published on audio cassette so I'd ha- I'd ha- I had to have a, a reel-to-reel a sound copy of everything I did but I didn't edit the master tape I edited a duplicate of it and that was how I could go back over something and redo it. And, uh, and and which interviews stay with you as in particular? Are, are there standout ones or per- personal favourites, I suppose? Well, the thing is that um, the ones that I remember are things like Lawrence Wiener, who knew it all inside out. Um, yeah, you, you learnt a lot from talking to people like Lawrence. And um, he wasn't so remote from the recording process he did a lot of sound himself and do you mean that he was particularly articulate yeah. articulate in his ideas and his yeah that's right ability to express them articulate and had this extraordinary ability to talk about his work and that that was quite a discovery how artists spoke about their work and how they brought in references and all of it helped me you know to go on doing it and conversely
honestly, were there any who, who were producing great pieces of art but were not so comfortable or, or able to, to talk about it? I, no, I don't think there are many. I mean, I know some of them weren't as comfortable being recorded and that I always think of someone like Bruce McLean, who I did a lot of recording with, but only because he wanted to change his mind so often and you know he didn't want to, in a way, be pinned down. So there's a lot of recordings of Bruce that, that don't really go on very far. But uh, you know, we, what we got was we got the artist, and that's the point. However skillful they are as interviews, that isn't the point. The point is that it is the artist you're hearing. Well, exactly, and and it's it's kind of his within his 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 gift to change his mind and yeah. to to say say what he wants to say. I suppose that's right. Uh, so it's it's a creative act for the interviewee as well. That's right, exactly that, and uh, that helped sustain it. I mean, the thing is that um, you you wonder why they bothered. Well, I think it it created a kind of a challenge for them and uh, no one says no to a bit of promotion and having their words permanently recorded on audio arts was always a good thing for them and um, they've always been grateful I did it. Oh, I'm sure. And, and did you um, keep in touch with yeah. the artists afterwards? Yeah, I did. It's a great way to build up a network or to stay connected yourself, isn't it? It is, yeah. And let's not forget, I was part of that world, the art world, the contemporary art world. So it was only really what I should have been doing anyway, going to see artists, talking to them, going to openings, many openings, almost one a night, having close ties with a gallery called the Anthony Doffy Gallery. They helped set things up. Um, because they knew people like Joseph Boyce, and I did some of the important interviews with him. Yeah, every every artist was a, a new challenge, and uh, it worked out well, I think, in the end. Well, yeah, and, it, and it, I mean, I'm, I'm amazed it demonstrates, I mean, you're very modest, but it demonstrates a huge commitment over a, a very long, long time, because I think one of the things that, uh, well, I certainly think, is that a lot of people, certainly looking at art from the outside, don't always realise just how much work goes into something, and, oh, yeah. and and so for 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 these cassette tapes and these interviews, but that represents behind the scenes a huge amount of uh, effort and uh, yeah, and yeah. Please, you you've you've noticed that, um, but yeah, it was a lot of work, but work that isn't directly concerned with the recording, but setting things up. You know, making appointments, travelling to, as you've been doing, travelling to do the interview, bringing back the tapes and then transferring them onto 10-inch reel-to-reel. That's what one wanted, and uh, editing them then. So there's a lot of work surrounding it, and then we get in, we get onto the cassettes. The audio cassettes, I think they were called Philips cassettes at some point, and I always liked the idea of because they're an artefact, something physical that you could hold on to, keep, I tend to want to make the actual object as interesting as possible. So all the cassette covers I did, and some of them, are, I think, are quite interesting. Yeah, well, I, I was looking because the whole collection is being uh, put online, isn't it, as part of the Tate archive? I think so, yeah. And I was looking online at some of the, the cassette uh, inserts and so on, and they are beautiful. They're, they're beautifully yeah. made, and they're very, they're very carefully done. Well, I'm pleased you've seen that. Absolutely. No, I think, well, that's, you know, they're, they're such desirable objects. You know, it, well, going back to what we were saying earlier about 
is it art and so on? Well, these as objects, you know, the, the, you know, they are anyway. They're just beautiful, beautifully made, made objects. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, were there any particular artists? I, I've got, I've got my list. I've got, I've got a question that I was that I just uh, kind of one. Were there any that got away? Any that you you particularly wanted to to but didn't quite get get to? I, I, it's funny. That's a question that I've anticipated a while, but no, I don't think so. If I wanted to do something, I did it, and I had to go sometimes to New York to do it and catch people travelling. Well, it creates. I mean, it's a great vehicle for for a, almost an excuse to go to New York or go yeah. to these places or go to the Venice Biennale yeah. and, and you know and, uh, and get an art fix and at the same time do something uh, creative yeah. at the same time. Well, that's that's the other thing to mention that wherever I went, audio arts was always probably the main reason, but. Not the only reason, because I could go and see a bit of work and meet a few people, including some of the artists. So there was a lot of reasons to that sustained the activity over the period of time. So well, that's that's all been really fascinating, and I'm I'm really looking forward because, as I say, the um, collection is being digitised and is 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 coming online and in the Tate. Uh, archive collection so I've already listened to some of them but there are just so many that it's, oh, yeah. it, it would take you almost a lifetime yeah, to, yeah. To, to listen to them all so as I'm starting on my podcast and my little journey into the world of uh, conversations with artists have you got any um, hints and tips or advice that you would give a, a rookie starting out well I think the the, the the main thing is consistency and carrying on because the question you can't ask is why am I doing this Although that is the question you have to ask to begin with. Um, but no, I think uh, the reason you do it is, the reason I did it was discovery of artists' motivations and get to know the artist a bit more so you know what makes them tick. So that's a, a good enough reason. And did but, you... Go, sorry, go on. No, I was going to say, it's a bit like any conversation. You have a conversation for lots of reasons, but one of them is to find out more about the person or an issue that the person can talk about because you don't know enough. And a lot of the artists I didn't know that well, so I had to learn a bit more about them, out of which came the questions. And did you have an interview style, would you say? Would you, how, how would you? I don't think I did. In terms of editing, so did you have a... Uh, were there any particular reasons to edit or not to edit or did you have like a, a policy around what to include or how, how to go about the post-production elements? No, the, the post-production was really to capture what was intended in the first place, which is to find out more about the artist and about their motivation and about the work that we're there to talk about. Beyond that, yeah, the context of the interview the period it was done in and any other relevant influences that the artist might feel able to talk about. But no, it all stemmed from the conversation, really. And do you have any plans for the future? I know that um, I've met Lucia, who's doing a PhD uh, that investigates and looks, delves into the archives. Are there any other particular uh, plans for the future with no, it? No, I think she's someone that is in charge of that side of things and will do it. She's very thorough in the way that I'm not particularly. 
But I think I can leave it to us to, to work out what's important. Well, it's going to be a resource that, that people are going to be looking through for generations to come because because it is such a unique record. Well, of, let's hope so. I, well, I'm, I'm absolutely sure it will be. Bill, thank you so much for uh, having this conversation with me. It's been uh, really interesting to find out more about it. And um, I'm excited to continue delving into your archives. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Something to Do with Art. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I'd love to hear your thoughts and feedback via social media. And check out the podcast notes for links and further information. That's it for this episode. Many thanks to the very wonderful Berwick Livingston for the music, Danielle Blyde for logo design, and to everyone who has taken part and helped me with this project. I hope to catch up with you again soon. Thank you.